0: Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. I'm joined on the call today with Andrew Sankster, the Editorial Director. My name is Chris Bown. I am the editor at Hotel Analyst and we're going to talk today about three topics that have caught our eye uh, from the news of the last week or two. Um, you can read in more detail uh, about what we're going to discuss at hotelanalyst.co.uk where you can of course subscribe. Now the first topic we're going to talk about this week is uh, we've just been having the last of the annual results and the fourth quarter results from all the big hotel groups and we've had a look at uh, rounding up the ones from some of the major European hotel groups uh, where things are still certainly in the European market, seem to be proceeding quite well. Let's let's put coronavirus to one side for now. We're looking back at 2019, not forward for the next few months. But as uh, Marriott, Hilton and all the other big uh, groups with American market share that's significant have have noted, you know, the the market there has certainly flattening off and seems to have peaked, uh, but not yet in Europe. Europe uh, still seems to be moving upwards, and um, it's been not not a bad year for 2019 for those who have got a good stake in the European space. Is it, Andrew?
1: No, indeed not, um, and I think you described it as a Goldilocks moment. Uh, Chris in terms of how how things were going um, and, and certainly historically 2019 uh, that is absolutely accurate it wasn't a bad time at all and indeed did look um, Goldilocks in the sense of not being too hot but not being too cold unfortunately um, that is history and um, <laughs> yes. what we've now got with COVID-19 um, to use your Goldilocks metaphor. Metaphor. Goldilocks has gone into the house. She's eaten some poisonous porridge and dropped down dead. And all we've got <laughs> left are a bunch of angry bears. Um, and that is really what the market is looking like right now. So um, it, it is quite frightening. I mean, I mean, Booking Holdings just withdrawn all of their their guidance and they're suggesting it's down for you know and the suggestion is that it's more than 40 percent down they didn't actually give a number but it's looking very bearish indeed um i i dug around because it's it's something which i think is is just probably overwhelming anything else that's happening right now in the marketplace and i've been digging around trying to look at things that make some sort of sense of it um mckinsey put out a document in the last few days and they were looking at and they they suggest there are three scenarios that Uh, business leaders need to consider. The least likely scenario, they say, is a quick recovery which sees hospitality and tourism back to normal by the end of Q2, by the end of June. The base case they're looking at has hospitality and tourism recovering to to something like normality by the middle of Q3. Uh, And the most pessimistic outlook is that we've got travel restrictions in place until the end of 2020. Um, what this means I think in all but the most optimistic scenarios is that trade is going to be devastated at least until the summer um, and um, on, on the sort of base case outlook from McKinsey the summer's going to be a wipe out as well. This is a this is a very frightening situation spectacularly so if you're a resort hotelier Um, and and you know just to contextualize this you know how bad is this well you know if we think back to how grim it was after 9-11 but this is much much worse than after 9-11 because effectively 9-11 was uh, an international travel issue domestic travel wasn't that impacted by 9-11 to an extent yes but not not dramatically so Um, this is impacting domestic and um, international travel I mean we've got you know, a major European country, Italy, in lockdown. Um, there's you know, Madrid. I think they've shut the schools. Uh, uh, Greece has shut its schools and universities. Uh, we've got bans on gatherings. Above, uh, I think Austria. I think is top to the table in terms of how small the gathering is before it gets banned i think it's anything more than 100 people that's a good birthday party it's it's it's, it's now off the cards in austria i think i mean you just have to stand stand alone (laughs) seeing it while you wash your hands that's right (laughs) but i mean it it, it, you know we're, we're goodness i mean this is just terrifying i think in terms of how bad this can be and um i think we're there is a real risk i mean who i'm no epi, i'm no expert and i'm no virologist but um certainly there is a real risk that the kind of um, um economic carnage that's going to be unleashed by all these restrictions is actually going to be worse than the thing we're, we're trying to um survive um so I think we've got to be careful about the level of disruption that's going on here. And at the moment, um, I think there's a, a significant risk of perhaps governments overshooting. Who, Who's to know? But I mean, you know, if, we, if we're to say an upside from all of this mess, I, th- I think there's a couple of bits which are coming out. Um, the Trump administration is talking about maybe providing some help um, for the travel and tourism sector, um, arguably with Mike Pence. Um, suggesting that um, and nobody should be booking on cruise liners at the moment (laughs) I think (laughs) you've got the government telling you don't you know effectively killing off a whole industry there Um, I mean it's astonishing Um, it is truly I mean I have seen nothing like this Mm. I mean for our sector I mean yes in in, you know we've certainly got financial meltdown but this isn't a financial crisis some people have talked about this being a supply side crisis in the sense of that what we've got is a problem with people getting to work and people you know and therefore the the kind of normal output happening Mm. um not happening as a result of that but actually for the travel and tourism s- sector this is the mother of all demand shocks mm. um and i i've never seen anything like it um when i've been covering this sector and i can't th- look back in history and see anything you know since the second world war that has this it's it's capable of creating the level of travel disruption with you know outright bans on people coming into countries um you know this is what the austrians are doing to the italians now um you know we're having this with the solid walls being built um between countries and territories and total lockdowns coming into place but it doesn't get much worse than that actually mm. um, um and it, it's goodness you know I, I i just don't know where this is going um,
0: well one one positive i did here today um uh, some anecdotal stuff on a radio phone in was that uh, it does there was a hint certainly within the uk that uh, staycation bookings are actually up on last year um so if you can't jump on a plane and go to the sun in another country um then you're perhaps more likely to jump in your car and book a uh, holiday rental or something um that's uh, within the same territory that's all very well yeah. for those of us that are currently not locked down
1: Yeah well quite exactly that and um, I mean this how long can this go on for I mean in Wuhan in China what did they do a couple of months um, and now they're easing up on the travel restrictions Mm. Um, and what we are seeing now the rate of new infections in in China are lower than Iran and Italy Um, so there is clearly you know this is going to um, burn itself out in um, as a virus um, but how much havoc it's going to create in the meantime um, that, that's the that's the worry I mean if you're an optimist you say well look this is massively overhyped we, we, we you know, this is going to be like SARS which isn't going to all bird flu h1n1 which didn't create anywhere near the number of deaths and um, devastation that was feared um, maybe um, but right now, the thing that I'm most fearful of is is the government reaction. Mm.
0: Well, that's enough of that's that. An optimistic. That's enough <laughs> Let's, go. Let's look a little further ahead. And here at Hotel Anis, we love talking about brands. Uh, do they actually mean much to? To customers who knows um, but we've rounded up uh, we, we've, we've paused for breath the last last few weeks uh, since i think the last one from uh, hilton was tempo um, but suddenly we have another little rack of new brands appeared and we've just run the rule over them this week um, a man the super luxury brand has, has launched a sub a slightly cheaper, slightly less luxurious brand called Jana. Uh, Scandic, the uh, the Nordic hotel operators has, has launched uh, an economy brand which they're calling Go um, in the UK Julian Dunkerton, the, the man who created the super dry clothing brand and has recently come back to try and revive its fortunes has uh, set himself about creating a new uh, boutique hotel brand in the UK called Holt. and finally uh, we have Centara, who have uh, decided it's time for them to add uh, another brand to their extensive range of brands, going up market with something called Reserve. So, Andrew, quick pick through those.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, I, I, actually, I have to confess, um, the super dry one um, escaped to me. Is that is he just a one-off, or is he actually? planning on a chain of the
0: He's things. planning on a chain. He's starting near to home in Cheltenham. He's uh, acquired the George Hotel in Cheltenham which he is, uh, is currently being refitted un- under the new Cult brand and he just he, he thinks there's a gap in the market. I think he's just thinking about the UK market for now but he's thinking about a number of cities around the UK. Um, it's, it's fair to say that uh, Mr. Dunkerton has got some sort of experience in the hospitality business. He already runs something... Uh, called the uh, lucky onion group which is some very small okay. pub hotels and and some sort of foodie pubs um in and around the cotswolds so i guess he does have a, a fair degree of insight into that area of the market um so yes roll on cult i don't know if the staff are all going to wear garishly heavily I, I've, branded I've clothes tho- or not
1: <laughs> yeah um i've got a thought experiment for you chris all right okay um, do i have to um, say the first word that comes so, into my head no, no it was it's kind of like yeah. that so if i were to ask you to imagine an audi driver can you imagine an audi driver yes just say yes, yes or yes. no mm-hmm. yes yes you've got that can you imagine a skoda driver yes can you imagine a marriott guest no no (laughs) or a hilton guest no
0: idea no it's probably yeah well quite this
1: this this is the problem i think in where we are so maslow's hierarchy of knees if you look at that where where so right at the top self-actualization at the peak the, the tip of the pyramid um that's where the car brands are um right down near the base of the pyramid though is is where the um hotel brands play yeah, they offer a sense of belonging at a push mm-hmm. um but it's really safety and security and stuff like actually, that that they're, they're dealing
0: with actually Go on. you, you ask what what's a what's a Marriott customer I, I say at least half of them <laughs> are people who count their points. <laughs> road warriors yeah. looking for a free holiday <laughs> for their families that's right <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, as indeed
1: are a holiday inn customer and half a hilton customer as well yeah, yes yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 quite so yeah the, there's no actual you know <laughs> there's, you, no, there's no real differentiation no. there is there no. but uh, no, I, th- I think we are shifting to a place where you know hotels are beginning to evolve brands that can do that mm-hmm. they're gradually gradually getting yeah. there They seem to be doing that through this umbrella strategy of having an overarching brand which deals with the belonging bit through the you know uh, through the loyalty scheme and offering the security and safety elements and that kind of stuff so the Hilton or the Marriott you know by Hilton by Marriott and then they have a um, sort of a true in the, or a tempo and then of course they add the by Hilton and that true or the tempo bit in the case of Hilton um, what they're they're trying to hone in on something uh, a bit narrow and to some more specific customer um, needs, and I, I think they're trying to, t- you know, to create that um i think we're still a ways from it to actually succeed in it but at least we're getting there mm. for the first time rather than because historically if we look at how hotels have been sold you know it was it was just on a basis of how much each you know how much they were charging for the rooms and mm. um, we're actually trying to move away from that and actually genuine differentiate i mean in the industry we talk about economy brands we talk about mid-market brands but that's not how the car industry deals with it okay there is a perception of luxury so the audi skoda mm. example is is but there's, there's something more around that as well and the price differential actually isn't that big between an audi and a skoda sure you can get different options where so your audi can be flashier fitted out than your skoda but they're built on the same platform it's all volkswagen and and you know that what what essentially they're, they're almost identical cars but they're they're appealing to different different customer need sets and i think <clears throat> within hotels we're finally getting to that point of trying to do that rather than just flogging on the price mm. point. So that's why I think we're seeing these brand offshoots from from the big global majors. Of course there is a cynical bit going on here which is they're trying to get around the areas of protection.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: so right, you, yes. you know you, you know I mean if they want to open a new hotel close to an existing property and if there's an area of protection in the contract if they adopt a new brand then that usually is a way around it and certainly there is a cynical element of that for sure and i've talked to a number of hotel developers down you know Um, at the bar at various events and um, they have admitted just that to me but um, (laughs) you know more positively I think you know what we're doing and what we're seeing as an industry we're evolving into a more more sophisticated um, uh, consumer. Yeah
0: but I mean what Um, you could say you could certainly say for for Aman's Jana and also Scandic's new Go they're they're both they're both brands born of, of hotel companies needing to expand their offering and they're already kind Kind of omnipresent in in their particular space you know Aman is super luxury is is sort of near its global maximum for those l- super luxury resorts Scandic is pretty well covered in the in the nordic markets and they've both both spotted mm, opportunity to kind mm. of uh sprout something new new slightly different to attract a slightly different demographic um but no one of the interesting things about this uh investigating this was having uh, swapping notes with um with James Bland of uh, BVA BDRC who um, Uh, whose whose organisation tracks uh, UK hotel brands and and notes that over the last 25 years the number they track has more than trebled. Um, Mm, And he makes mm. the point that uh, very few of these new brands really have something um, genuinely new and different to offer the guest.
1: Uh, I think James is absolutely right The but the big problem is I mean um, certainly we've worked with um, Otis um, the boutique investment bank and they've got data showing there's something like thousands or even close to 1100 I think so-called brands which are basically badges on chains of four or more uh, um, hotel properties and um, they're not they're not brands <laughs> you know a thousand of that 1100 aren't brands yeah. I mean, it's probably you know, um, in, in any meaningful sense, they're just badges, mm. um, and we've got to we've got to get beyond that, and we've got to start addressing that. If, if you know what we've got a fee income companies which are very focused on franchising essentially just selling that brand um they've they've got to deliver on that and they've got because the distribution piece is escaping them because that's going to the tech players um they've actually got to deliver something in the the product brand and they've got to focus on that and make that work
0: well now from hotel brands to alternatives and uh seems to be quite a lot going on in that space um while we wait to hear whether or not mining the hostel hybrid operator will actually float on the uh, on the london market as promised this month uh, there's plenty else going on and um, we've done a quick wrap-up of some of the bits and pieces uh, in that space there's a uh, hoxton are under the uh, to, across europe uh, taking their boutique brand to new places and also they uh, they have a kind of Dare I say it's sub-brand, a co-working product as well. Um, And have newly been renamed Eden, are busy uh, expanding and they've taken a site in Cambridge for their Lock brand, uh, following up on one they recently bought in Munich. Uh, And uh, what else we've got going on? We've got um, A&O, who are Europe's largest privately owned hostel brand, just uh, acquiring a site in Florence to uh, add to their portfolio.
1: and I think it's all part of the broadening of of the sector into operational real estate. And um, as you mentioned, Chris, we've been doing um, the Hotel Alternatives event for a, for a number of years, and um, that's now changed into the Operational Real Estate Festival. Um, so we would have had the Hotel Alternatives event in February this year for the sixth time, but instead, um, hopefully, all being well, uh, COVID nineteen, yes, all being <laughs> permitting, um, in June um 15 16 this year in amsterdam we're going to be launching the operational real estate festival um which is going to deal with this this wider hotel alternatives and the hotelization of real estate and all that stuff we've been jabbering on about for the last few podcasts it, it's it's such a fantastic opportunity that's there right now in the marketplace and ironically one of the things from an investor point of view is that you know all of this shenanigans around um um, the stock market crashing, the flight to safety, all of this stuff. What we've actually got is a situation um, which is seeing bond yields get even lower, and investor appetite, therefore, for um, positively yielding assets um, is even stronger, and that's going to create even more demand for these so-called alternatives in particular what we're we're calling um, operational real estate that's the place which is going to have a lot of weight of money seeking you know seeking to buy into it so it's really exciting um it's just uh, a few sleepless nights here at Hotel Analyst Towers, I think, Chris. <laughs> but um, over, <laughs> over the next month or two, but um, and, and I'm sure for the industry, the wider industry as well, mm. but we'll come through it. Absolutely, we will
0: come through it. Well, on that note, it's time to go and wash our hands. Bye for now.